One of the things I learned is you can't teach motivation. Like people have to be self-motivated. You can teach them skill, but you can't teach them motivation. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm very happy to be joined today by Mike Silverstein. Mike is the managing partner of DRI's healthcare IT and life sciences practice. In 2014, Mike was inducted into the Pinnacle Society, which is, as many of you guys already know, the nation's premier consortium of top recruiters within the direct placement and search industry. In 2016, Mike was named as one of the most influential millennials by staffing industry analysts. And uh, so listen, Mike founded the healthcare IT practice in 2008. Big recession year, as you guys know. Under his leadership, the life sciences practice has expanded and grown significantly year over year. Additionally, in 2011, Mike helped found what is now DRI's hospital IT group as the managing partner. And uh, essentially they're focused on hospital IT staffing and consulting with a focus on recruiting the executive level and C-suite through to individual contributor roles within healthcare software and services organizations nationwide. Mike is known as one of the top healthcare IT recruiters and life sciences recruiters in the United States. Mike, welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you, Mark. Appreciate it very much. So we met back in April in San Diego at the Pinnacle Society conference. And I didn't, I knew a few people already who'd already been on the show, but I didn't, there was a lot of people I didn't know, including yourself. And I just, so I didn't know who you were, but I saw this guy, most people were wearing like smart casual, sort of like <laughs> chinos and button shirts. And I saw this guy wearing shorts and flip-flops. And I was like, wow, this, you have to be a really confident person to pull that off. Like, it makes me think you're someone who doesn't, isn't concerned with conforming to other people's expectations or worried about what other people think. Is that an accurate description? Uh, it's, it's pretty fair. In fact, this is pretty dressed up for me. I usually spend most of my uh, most of my day not on Zoom in a tank top and in shorts. So yeah, uh, this is this is buttoned <laughs> but, buttoned up Mike today, Mark. <laughs> Excellent! Wow, you dressed up especially for me. That's it. Um, it's hilarious. So um, I just got finished a few minutes ago recording an interview with Fernando Espinosa, another Pinnacle member. I love that guy. What a phenomenal human being he is. So Fernando- um, How well do you know him? I know him really well. Fernando was the one that, um, I think Fernando interviewed me when I, when I uh, for Pinnacle, when I was trying to get in. Uh, and I was like, man, this, this dude is amazing. And Fernando, for a guy, I wear shorts and flip-flops. Fernando, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen him without a sport jacket on. So- He's the the best dressed cat. He is, uh, you know, we got to work. He, he's been using the same, uh, you know, Pancho Lopez joke for like a decade now. But so we got to work on that a little bit. But Fernando's my guy. He's awesome. <laughs> Did you know that he's fluent in Japanese? Uh, I I think I knew that a little bit. I don't think I've ever heard him speak okay. Japanese, but I know he does a ton of international stuff. And yeah. He's, he's, he's sneaky. He's like closet brilliant. And, uh, and, you know, yeah. he tries to disarm you with the humor, but he's, he's great. Exactly. Absolutely. He's, he's a super humble guy, but, uh, yeah, what a great character. I also interviewed your colleague, Norman Volsky recently. Uh, so, and he did an awesome job. Have you, uh, have you heard that interview yet? 
I listened to part of it. So now Norm's an experienced podcaster. He started his own podcast recently. So Norm's uh I hear. Norm, Norm Norm's a hoot. Yep, I've known I, I was the guy actually that hired Norm as an intern way back when when he was driving a a little Toyota smart car with the mirror hanging off in college and you know, talked him into coming <laughs> back afterwards and he's been uh he's been a he's been phenomenal ever since. I, I heard about that. He said that he had joined your, like you were his first boss in recruiting. He joined you as an intern. What about yourself, Mike? How did you get into recruitment? Uh, I got into recruitment by accident. Uh, I had this really grandiose career in commercial real estate planned. I had interned with a few big commercial real estate firms in college and uh, got uh, my, before the summer before my senior year in college, I, I interned for this company uh, and they offered me a job coming back after school. And I was really, really excited. And, and, uh, as a result had a really casual senior year of college, cause I already had a job in hand and lo and behold, you know, that was, uh, that was the fall of 2007 going into the spring of 2008. And, you know, the company, I, I wasn't really paying too much attention outside of uh, cheap beer in college and, and, you know, running around and, um, you know, the company's stock price had dropped from like 55 bucks a share to five bucks a share while I was a senior in school. Oh. And so I came back in this really, you know, high flying neat place. Like people were a lot crouchier when I started, uh, in the summer of 08. Uh, and so, um, started in June, was out of a job by August. Uh, actually, uh, I, I got, uh, actually fired from that job. I wasn't laid off. It was, uh, the... I learned a, I learned a lesson in that I went to a happy hour with some of the management trainees that I started with. And I had kind of learned like some of the people that went to uh, the same university as the president of the company were like in these really high up positions and they were starting to get invited to like poker games at the, at the, at the president's uh, house over the weekend. And I'd hear about it Monday morning. And so apparently this is, this is, uh, you know, potential hearsay, because I don't remember saying this, but I said you had to kiss the president of the company's ass to get ahead of this company. And then Monday morning, I got a really nasty, <laughs> really nasty email from the president of the company, two pages long. And uh, Friday morning, I didn't really think anything of it because I was 21 and, uh, you know, had no idea. But I had this meeting put on my calendar with HR on Friday morning. And by you know, 830 Friday morning, uh, Mike was walking out with a box and, uh, going back to his parents' house to figure out what he's going to do with the rest of his life. So uh, I got into recruiting after painting my parents' basement for two weeks and my buddy's father, who a um, uh, good good buddy from high school and college uh, who owned this little recruiting firm. I was like, oh, maybe he could help me find a job. And he offered me a job for half what I was making two weeks earlier. And I wasn't a great painter and none of my other friends uh, that graduated in 2008 had jobs. And so that's how I got into recruiting. I said, sign me up. Amazing. I, it's so funny, these pivot points where at the time it probably felt like a disaster, but the world, in the world was coming to an end. <laughs> the world was yeah. coming to an end. And yet, like, you're so much better off. Like, that sounds like a, I, I mean, maybe it was a good company, but culture wise, that doesn't sound like it was a fit for you anyway. And You've done so well in recruiting. It was like such a huge opportunity in disguise. It it was. It was the best thing, best thing that happened to me. And yeah, that company, shortly after that, the guy that was the president, he took over as CEO pretty shortly thereafter. And as you can imagine, he 
he changed the dress to business professional. So a suit and tie every day for the next five years. And we, we've already discussed that probably wasn't going to be a great fit for me. So yeah, no, this was uh right. It was a for- fortunate move and, uh, you know, a blessing in disguise. Right. Wow. So you joined, you got into recruiting at a difficult time, like during a recession and you built a practice from scratch an industry you didn't know. Tell me that story. How did you, how did you make that work? Yeah. So, uh, direct recruiters had been in business since 1983, um, was probably a eight or nine person business, um, you know, successful business, but probably hadn't done more than a million, million two in, in the history of the company. Uh, but it was very, you know, focused on, uh, like manufacturing automation, which lo and behold was also dead in, uh, 2008. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I, I got in, uh, I was handed a, a printout of a, a database out of a database called WinSearch, which is, I don't know if it still exists, but it was, uh, I was given like 3000 names and, and told, uh, go cold call and find some business and make 80 calls a day. Uh, and that was my job. And so, um, after, you know, if I'd make 77 calls for some reason, uh, Shell Meyerhoff, the president of the company, would pull me into my pulled me into his office the next day and I'm like, what happened yesterday? And I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> so and literally I was calling uh I was calling companies and people were were kind of chuckling at me. They're like, Yeah, we're not hiring people. In fact, we're letting people go. So good luck, buddy. So that was uh but I, you know, I kind of managed to to find a few leads and I was kind of good at, you know, making a game of it that I had to, you know, 40 calls before lunch, 40 calls after lunch. And, and, uh, you know, um, it was my, my dad, uh, would meet me at the subway, uh, you know, fast food restaurant, like uh, a couple miles down the road every Wednesday would buy me a sandwich and like that, that and a couple late, late after work conversations with some of the guys that, that worked at the company who are still here, um, you know, kind of talking me off the ledge on the weekly, uh, for, uh, that, that, that was how, that's how I got started. And, and, um, you know, was fortunate, uh, got uh, Shelly agreed to send me to this, uh, healthcare IT trade show that I kind of discovered. It was at the McCormick center in Chicago in the spring of 09. And, uh, he actually went with me to, to McCormick and we just kissed babies and shook hands and got a bunch of business cards for a couple of days. And, brought those back, put them in a, spread them out on the table, put them in a database and started cold calling. And that was how I got into healthcare IT. So it was, you know, amazing, uh, fortuitous. So awesome. And so how did you choose, why did you choose healthcare IT? I mean, it was good, a good decision, right? That's been a huge growth industry, but at the time, what was your rationale? I thought health, healthcare, I was hoping would be somewhat recession insulated. Uh, people yeah. get sick. This must be this seems better than manufacturing where they could just turn it off. So that was, that, that was, that was as, as simple as that was hoping that, uh, you know, it was, okay. a, it was a better place to be than manufacturing. All right. Makes sense. And then, uh, so it wasn't a huge, big strategy. It was like, you know, I, I, I manufacturing is dead. So this seems like a better, I, you know, I'd like to say that I had the, you know, I consulted with, you know, BCG or McKinsey to figure that out. No, it was more out of survival. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So then how did it go from there? Because like <clears throat> what we're looking back, so we're now 15 years later uh, and you've built a phenomenal practice, multiple recruiters, multi-million in annual production. Like what were those key milestones along that journey, Mike? Um, 
So, you know, the one, the one lesson that I took away from the guy that fired me, uh, earlier in the summer, uh, who I had actually had a really good relationship the previous summer. So the guy that fired me actually gave me a hug and hired me the summer before, um, was his thing was, Hey, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. Uh, and so the job that I had had in the real estate industry was uh, commercial real estate industry was I was helping to renew leases in commercial shopping centers. So my job was to call up people that were already uh, tenants in a shopping center. And I had to get them to agree to like five-year lease extensions with as big of a raise in their rent as I could. And so um, it turned out that, you know, I, I, you know, coming out of college, I had never done anything like that. I had worked at a paint store. I had always been in kind of, I came from a sales family. My parents are both in sales. Um, but it turned out I was pretty good at somehow building rapport and relationship with people over the phone that I never met and getting them to, uh, sign new lease agreements to pay more money, right? To do the same thing they had. And so, um, you know, it was really good experience getting really comfortable on the phone and, and, you know, getting people to agree to things that, you know, were in their best interest to, to keep the spot they were in, but, you know, having to fork, getting them to fork up something. Right. And so, uh, and I happened to be, you know, was really good at it. I was actually the, you know, the best producer in the leasing department for a couple summers, uh, and so the experience of doing that really got me comfortable with just being on the phone. And at the time, really, I had nothing to lose, uh, you know, so I was I was calling and and I'd always kind of been the kid that even when I was a kid, I loved talking to the adults. Right. Um, I, and just having conversation. And, um, you know, I was always avid, at, you know, reading, reading the news, watching the news, you know, like current events and um, was, was pretty good at kind of striking up conversation. And so it really, you know, what was interesting about, uh, 2009 and healthcare IT, even though the business was really, uh, was, was, you know, business was better than manufacturing was still, it was still really poor. And so what would actually worked in my favor is there was a ton of, uh, really experienced people that had actually been laid off in healthcare IT also. And so there was a ton of people that actually, I, you know, took the time to talk to me about not, you know, they would talk to me because they wanted to talk to me about their career and hoping I could help, help them. But they really took the time to really educate me on the space, uh, which is a pretty complicated space. And so, you know, people were sitting at home with, you know, in their pajamas and they'd explain to me, Hey, here's what this, here's the, what this company did and here's how the industry works and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so it was a tremendous learning experience that I think, um, it was serendipitous in the fact that I, I, you know, I, I was 22. I didn't have anything else to do, but you know, I, I've always loved people. I like, I'm a social guy. And so I would just get people talking about their career and I was genuinely interested. And I think they could tell I was genuinely interested. And so they took a liking to me. And so as those folks kind of slowly got back into kind of key roles in industry, a lot of them were um, you know, in influential positions. And so I, I was afforded the opportunity to, you know, I picked up a search and I'd go grind on that. And I always, you know, I took the, the, um, you know, the focus of really calling high to try to, I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, I might as well get to know really senior people because why not? Right. Uh, and so, uh, I, I made a placement and then got an, you know, would get an, be able to parlay that into another opening or two. And, uh, just, you know, the, the 80 call a day routine really kind of 
you know, there was a, there was a volume uh, element to it. Um, in fact, I, uh, I, I drove around in my car for the first few months on the job, uh, listening to the Scott Love training CDs. Uh, and oh, so, yeah, Scott. yeah, so, so uh, the whole, his whole bank account concept of putting deposits in the bank account before you make withdrawals, that was real, that, that made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and then, uh, I, uh, I watched all the, the Jeff K foundational training videos, uh, which is kind of crazy. I give him a hard time because now I'm Jeff's my partner, uh, in our, in the, uh, in an, our new company. But, uh, you know, Jeff had this you know, big bright blue shirt. So I listened to Jeff K in the lunchroom and I listened to Scott awesome. before and after work. And between those two guys and and some of the guys I work with in my office, just kind of came up with, uh, you know, a little bit of a shtick and, and, uh, just tried to, my, my whole metric was, you know, go make a couple friends every day. And friends would be in my eyes, people that would accept my LinkedIn and would take a call with me at a later date. And I had kind of the beautiful mind thing going in my in my cubicle, like I had all these post-it notes and stickers and, you know, call this guy back in June and this, you know, so it was just really down and dirty, just trying to make something happen. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it. I love it. Let me just break down a couple of things you said. So first of all, um, taking the time to speak to executives in transition so many benefits of doing that. And I don't understand recruiters t saying things like, oh, like people complain if they send an email campaign out and it's aimed at hiring authorities because they want job orders, right? And then someone replies back and said, hey, I'm actually interested in talking to you about, you know, other opportunities. And they're disappointed about that. They're upset. Like, oh, I, I do I'm getting candidates and not uh, not searches here. And to me, that's a missed opportunity because, you know, those candidates are your clients of the future and they're responding to you. They're asking for help. What better opportunity? Yeah, you're not going to make any money now or maybe this quarter, but, you know, what better opportunity to build relationships with those senior people and add some value? That's the emotional or the bank account thing you you mentioned. So that was smart. Um, you know, huge respect for that. You skimmed over something though that I just wanted to, I didn't really catch. You said something about parlaying one placement into other searches and uh, calling high to go low. And I think maybe Norm explained something similar, but could you go over that again, please? Yeah, certainly. So look, I mean, I, I, I think... Um... You know, my, my approach was look at, you know, I'm not going to get a second at bat with a company unless I really work my tail off on the first one. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, people that were giving me the opportunity to work on a search, they were taking a gamble, right? I, I wasn't, I was a 22 year old kid. You go on my LinkedIn, I couldn't hide it. Right. Like I was, I was right, in real estate yeah. for three months, uh, you know, two months earlier. And, <laughs> and so, um, the, the, the only thing that, that, um, you know, I, I would tell folks, look, you know, give me a shot. Doesn't cost you anything up front and I'll work my butt off, yeah. you know? And so I think work ethic and the, the, the focus on, uh, making a really great impression. And even when I didn't make the placement of which I didn't make a lot, there was a lot, you know, early on, I mean, some of, some of the companies that turned out to be great clients of mine, I didn't make the second, third or fourth 
you know, I, I worked on four or five positions before I, I made a placement, right? And so wow. I, I, I think the fact that um, folks saw that I was kind of, um, I was dedicated, I was hustling, you know, even when they gave me bad news, I'd say, hey, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I try to like, you know, I, I try not to burn any bridges. I try to really, you know, show show an appreciation uh, for yeah. taking the shot on me. Because yeah, look, I wasn't, I wasn't Kay Bassman. I wasn't Danny Cahill. I wasn't, you know, um, Corn Ferry. I was, you know, Mike Mike from Cleveland that uh, that that doesn't know anything. So, but the only thing I had in my favor was just working hard, um, which is just kind of what I learned from my upbringing. Um, and so, I think people took, you know, I, I gained some affection from folks by just they could tell I was hustling, and so they came back to me, and yeah. so they'd say, Mike, do you know how to? you know, you, we need, now we need a, a marketing person or a product manager. I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but if you'll take the time to explain it to me, I will go learn it and I'll go find it for you. And so that was really how I parlayed one into another. And, um, you know, I, from a, from a taking that and, and building a relation, building relationships with a VP of sales and that VP of sales, he or she would say, Hey, you know, my buddy that I work with, at uh, at Cerner years ago, uh, it runs sales at another company. I told him I met this kid that was, will work his tail off. Um, you know, let me introduce you to him. And I'm like, hey, I appreciate that so much. And so I kind of made my way made my way around in little circles of professional uh, friends that took a shot on me. And I, you know, um, and that's kind of how I, I, you know, was able to kind of get some leverage on my efforts and and uh, always you know, thank those folks, send them handwritten notes, took, you know, sent, you know, took, took the time to send them little gifts and things like that. And, uh, let them know that, you know, uh, I, I didn't, I, I appreciated every, every, everything that anybody was willing to do. And I think till this day, like, that's how I approach it. Like, I don't, uh, I, I talk to, I talk to kids, friends, spouses of hiring managers and people in industry, all week long. Um, and you know, the more you can kind of, especially when people are vulnerable or they could use, they, they need help. Like there is, it is totally backwards. If, if you're not spending the time with folks, because it's one thing, uh, you know, when, when they've got money, you need money and you're saying, Hey, can you, can, can I get some of your money? Uh, but the more (laughs) you can, um, you know, genuinely take a, take a, an interest in folks, um, they feel that. Uh, and I had another lady early on in my career, one of the first places that I ever made, this woman named Kathy Willis, uh, who I'll never forget. And Kathy, Kathy told me, hey, you know, I could tell you're hustling kid, but do yourself a favor, never never sell on the first call. Uh, and so I, I learned that um, if you can resist the urge to sell on the first call, you're going to land in, in another, you're, you're going to land in the, uh, the friend or, or, you know, consultant bucket versus the person that five minutes into a call is asking for something. And if you can resist the call, the urge to call on the first call, you'll have, you'll have carte blanche to ask for stuff for the rest of your, the relationship because you've established yourself in the right part of somebody's brain. Video interviewing has been part of mainstream recruitment for over a decade now, but have you figured it out yet? Video interviewing certainly looks good as part of your recruitment service, It gives you the appearance of being a cutting edge recruitment business owner on the front line of technology. But is it paying its way? Are you getting more new business, more repeat business because you're using video interviewing? Or is it starting to look more like a financial drain on your recruitment business? 
Our sponsor and trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. Their video interviewing is just one part of a complete suite of recruitment tools, so you don't need to spend a fortune on yet another tech platform. Everything you need is included in one package. Additionally, they provide training for your recruitment firm to make sure you're using the technology to the best possible effect for your existing clients, as well as how to use it to attract new clients. If you're thinking of investing in video interviewing, don't take another step until you've requested your free demonstration from iIntro. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain to book your free consultation. See for yourself how to use video interviewing to get a true return on your investment. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. That's, wow, that's cool. I like that. Kathy Willis, that's a, a great tip. So uh, just rewind on a couple of things. I think your authenticity definitely comes across, Mike. The fact that <clears throat> you were so genuine and, and sincere. P people have to respect that, right? Like this is a, a lot, too many recruiters don't want to give the appearance they don't know something, so they BS, and clients can spot that, right? It's, uh, you know, it's so much better to be transparent than to try and BS, and um, you just get so much more respect, I think, by being, you know, yourself. Um, so hmm. I like the, the, the philosophy. What does that look like in practice when, like, don't sell in the first call? Can you give a little more like insight into that or an example? Yeah, so so um, we, I learned early on, look, that, you know, do like that, that recruiting was the path to relationship building. And so what I would do, and it's Norm and I, you know, kind of cooked up and, and, and what we kind of called our, our 360 call um, was, Norman, I, if I could get a position or I could get a search and it was, you know, somewhat senior level, Norman, I would, would, uh, smile because that gave us the opportunity to go call a bunch of really senior people. Right. And say, Hey, I'd right. love to network with you about what I'm working on. Let me tell you about the role. Tell you about the client. It may or may not be, you know, something for you personally, but we'd love to, if you're open to it, put our heads together to try to get to the right person. If you're in your network, if you're open to it. Uh, and so, it, you know, immediately I wasn't asking for, you know, anything other than let me, let me share something with you, which I learned from Scout Love was a deposit, right? People, people in the industry mm -hmm. like to hear about what else is going on, what, what companies are hiring, right? Um, and so we'd go through that discussion. I'd tell them about what I'm working on. And then I immediately afterwards would, would pivot to how about your career? What's going on in your career? What are you? Are you uh, sticking around at this company for the gold watch, which again was a you know corny, but or or if the right thing came along, would you be open to hearing about it? So I'd start with the recruiting on something I was working on. I'd quickly pivot to their own career, and if they said, "Look, yeah, no, actually, um, I'd love to learn about things," I'd say, "Okay, I'd go into an interview about you know what's your responsibility today, how many people do you manage, da da da, like what what would what would great look like?" And then I'd go put that on a sticky note, and I'd be like, "Hey, call." called Joe Smith next time you have something like this, right? And I'd stop. Or if a person would say, hey, actually, things are going remarkably well here. I'm kicking butt. Uh, I've got, you know, this team. I would say, hey, um, that's awesome. You know, if you're not open, if you're, if you're, if you're staying put, you know, how, 
what what could I do to potentially add value to make sure that you're kind of achieving the best level of success at your current company? And they're like, well, you know, I've got a I've got a full team, but you know, stay in touch. I was like, great, that's awesome. That means that you're a good manager, so people are people are sticking with you. But is there somebody? Is there a particular geography in the country if you're a sales manager that's maybe not, you know, is everybody making 100% of their number or, or is there somewhere that's a soft spot that I could keep an eye open for, right? And so the whole MPC concept of, yeah, you know what, if you know somebody in the Southeast that does this, this, and this, you know, let me know. I was like, great, I appreciate it very much. And I and I let them go. And I would basically established the fact that that person would take my call at a later date if I had a, a candidate in the Southeast that, could, could, they could top grade with. Uh, and so how many times I could go through and accumulate that. And then I would go back and I'd look for those folks and I'd interview, you know, and I would try to proactively, uh, MPC. And, and again, you know, I think the, the key for, for newer folks in the business is like, no company's gonna, you, you're not going to call anybody up 10 minutes into the industry and somebody's going to hand you the best search on the planet, right? You're going to have to get of a course. lot of C's and B's and, NPCs and turn it, you know, turn those into activity that that yields something. And so, uh, and the key was, you know, I would follow up, right? Like I didn't just take that and toss it out as a as a wasted opportunity. I took that, and a month later, that that client was that company was going to hear from me and say, "Hey, you remember when we talked a month ago?" Well, I wrote that down, and I came across somebody I thought you should know about. And they're like, "Wow, you actually wrote that down? How about that? Yeah, tell me about them, right?" And so. You know, doing that over and over and over again early on was really how I I got started. And and uh, you know, frankly, in in what's a little bit of a shaky market right now, um, you know, I I let the talent, I let the the candidate, if I could come up with a candidate, I let that speak for themselves. Because I also learned yep. early on that if I got stuck in a dance around, tell me about your process, tell me about your, tell me about your references. I was like, well, I didn't have any, and my process is just, you know, the same as everybody else's, if not worse, right? And so. Uh, but if I can find you a great candidate, I'll let the candidate speak for themselves. And so that was really kind of the approach I took. Cause I, I, I learned again, you know, I can't hide the fact I'm 23 and I have a year of experience doing this. Right. And so, but what I can do is I can bring you a great candidate and get you talking and, and, you know, that's, that's the work product versus, uh, you know, having you to just have to bet on me. It's interesting. Um, I had, I, I had Chris Shuttlecote on the podcast a while back and we start, we ran out of time. It would, it was such a great conversation, but where we were going and we never resolved is can young junior like folks out of college or a year's experience, do they have the credibility to win senior level searches? And my argument was yes. And he was skeptical. But uh, you've just given a case study of how that can potentially work. You know, sometimes enthusiasm, hustle, you know, and honesty goes a long way. And ultimately, it's down to can you produce, can you come up with a candidate? And if you have the right talent, then that speaks for itself. Your references are secondary then to here's the candidate that you want, right? And they're they're represented by me. Um, could you... You mentioned like post-it notes and you had all this bits of market intelligence insight into different companies, different hiring managers, what their kind of uh, hiring needs potentially were going to be. How, now at the time you're using post-it notes, but how do you guys keep track of all those leads and follow-up calls now? Like what's the system? 
Uh, it hasn't improved <laughs> a whole lot. <laughs> so, um, okay. Yeah. So we, you know, uh, we, we use PCR today uh, and shamelessly. Yep. I was, you know, I was trained on WinSearch. We probably switched to PCR five years into my career. And in, in the same way Norm's go, 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 I'm go, go, go. Like I, I couldn't get my head around trying to switch systems and take away from what I was doing. So I, I surrounded myself with a team that learned how to do it. Uh, and, um, so I still, you know, I use, uh, I use Outlook. I put follow-ups on my calendar. Uh, I write everything down. I went paperless during COVID. So I, I got an iPad and an Apple pencil that I keep notes on. That's very searchable. Um, don't tell, uh, Jordan, our, our finance lead, who was our IT guy earlier in his career, cause it drove him nuts. But, um, and then actually we have a, uh, uh, we have a Crelate account, uh, these days that just for the CRM. And so I have a, a gentleman and my ops manager who who's, uh, helps with scheduling and, and is copied on all my emails. So he he grabs stuff and puts it in Crelate and then sends me a report of all the leads every oh, once my, in a while. All right, uh, let's just stop, 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 yeah, because this all, sounds like a disaster. It's a disaster, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Don't, this is not not to be replicated by anybody. Right. Uh, and I try to okay. not tell anybody that's how I keep, how I do it. <laughs> Okay. All right. No problem. So uh, this is the funny thing though, like, and, and I'm glad you told that story because nobody is perfect. Nobody has absolutely like got no, you know, everybody has things that they're excellent at and things that they're, you know, less strong at. And the key is strength and strengths. Focus on those things that you do excel at and focus, you know, spend as much time on that stuff as possible rather than trying to be, you know, you know, have no, whoops, ha have no flaws. Just instead hire the people in your team who can complement what you're good at and make up for those deficiencies. One of the right? biggest lessons in business, in my opinion, um, you know, I, I was fortunate. I hired a gal, uh, Casey Kaiser, who's now, who's been a partner at DRI for a long time. And, you know, I, if 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 uh, recruiting is a combination of art and science, I'm the artist and she's the scientist, uh, and so we've we've okay. worked re really well together for a decade plus. And um, you know, she can interpret my the uh, you know my 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 Michigas or what my team calls Mike speak, and she can disseminate that you know in the in the appropriate process driven way to to help help uh, our team do what they need to do. But I, I learned early on that if I was going to try to try to figure everything out in, in the CRM and do all that, like it just wasn't my strength. It, it would suck the life out of me. But you put me on the phone with anybody and I feel comfortable. So surround yourself with people that compliment your, 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 your skills and cover up your weaknesses. A hundred percent. And this is why I think sometimes I meet a lot of solo practitioners and they're like, no, I'm never going to hire. I don't want to manage people. You know, I just like doing my own thing. And, and that's okay. Like there's, I guess if that's truly what you want, then great, go for it. But on the other hand, is it more fear or, you know, uh, limiting mindset that's preventing you from building a team which could, you, like, you just can't imagine how much better it could be if you did what you're great at and you have other people who are all rowing together. Like, you're in a boat rowing by yourself. You can only go so fast and so far, right? But if you have a whole crew who are rowing in the same direction, 
man, you can really motor. It's like a whole nother ball game. Um, I definitely couldn't. I, I realized it late uh, in the, in in my career, but I eventually realized that I was dramatically underperforming on my potential because I was trying to do everything myself. Um, it's, Mark, it's the, it's the conversation that my good buddy Rich Rosen and I have been having for years. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, R Rich is a monster, monster, monster solo producer. And he tries, yeah. he's hired a few people over the years and Rich is just so EDD because he's got so much energy that he, like people can't keep up with him. Uh, and that, yeah. uh, and he's made an amazing career out of it. I, I just, uh, you know, was looking, I, I maybe in talking to clients and, and seeing how companies were built and being, uh, participating in building companies, I, I, I took note of how the infrastructure of companies, you know, successful companies were complementary skill sets and you need blockers and tacklers. You don't need all eight players and you need folks that, that have a, uh, you know, a complementary set of skills that, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team was for, you know, my, my partner, Dan had made, made all of us read and it was a great, great book. You know, if I learned, I love developing business. I love closing deals. I love managing clients. I, I really never loved, love, love recruit. Uh, and yeah. so, um, my, my talent, I think where I'm strongest and where I get my, my energy from is in being in front of customers and, and, and trying to grow the business. And if I could, if I could be really good at that, I can hire people to help fulfill the searches. Uh, and and yep. that was just a natural kind of um, thing for me because I, I wasn't, ha when I when I was grinding through and, and having to recruit all day, th those were, those to me were frustrating days because I didn't feel like I was working at top of license, right? And so, um, you know, if I could be a world-class business developer, I needed to go find people that could be world-class recruiters and really love that because recruiting is so, Recruiting is far more process oriented, in my opinion, than business development, uh, and I, yeah. I learned that. So, surrounding myself with Norms and Casey's and 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 a whole bunch of others since then uh, has been just a um, w real uh, was an aha moment for me early, early in my career. Amazing, I yeah, hundred percent agree. Well, let's just uh, segue into that then the the building of a team because you've now how many people are in your practice now, Mike? Um, I personally have about 20, uh, so, and okay. Norm's, Norm's group kind of spun off our group. So all in our practice is about 27, 28. Amazing. So what, what are the key, well, let's start with like, what are some of the mistakes that you made in trying to grow a team? Um, and what did you learn from them? Um, you know, early, early in my career, you know, when I was in my early twenties and trying to hire folks, I felt comfortable hiring folks that were younger than me. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. really, I had a, a tough time thinking that I could hire somebody that had 10 years more experience than me and that they would, they would listen to me. Uh, and maybe that was, um, I got over that, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so, and I think, you know, trying to, you spend so much time at work, uh, that I was really, you know, want to be buddies in addition to working. So he was always trying to walk that fine line. And so, you know, um, when I, I hired Norm, I was probably 25. He was probably 21. Right. And we, there's a few other guys that, that came worked for me at the, at the same time who were great guys and, um, you know, but, and maybe they helped, help me kind of figure out what I needed to do next. There was kind of different, different eras. Um, but, uh, 
I think one of the things I learned is you can't teach motivation. Like people have to be self-motivated. Yeah. You can teach them skill. You can't, Absolutely. But, but you can't teach them motivation. Um, I also think, and it's it's a little... Mike, hold on. Let Hold that thought. Don't forget what you're about to say. I want people to really get that. Like let it sink in because so often we see people and they they are leaning towards hiring someone who is experienced rather than this person who is has the drive and the self-motivation. You still with me, Mike? I'm here, Mark. Sorry, there was a lawnmower yeah. outside my window. I wanted to close that. <laughs> All right, no problem. So yeah, like hire for mindset and attitude and train for skill all day long. You know, it's just so much easier to manage people who are self-motivated. You don't have to, because you can't make people do stuff, right? You, you can't. It's just never, it's I, never going to scale and it's just going to suck up all your time and end in frustration. You need to hire people who have that drive and they are motivated, they're smart and they they will drive your business forward for you. 100%. I think one of the other things that's really important that's it's very hard to do, especially as you're early team building, I I would wait to start looking for people when I when I needed to make a hire, right? Um, and so I would end up hiring what was in front of me and what was available. And yes. I, I think made a lot of, you know, met a, hired a lot of good people, but that were not necessarily best for what I was looking for. And so I really make a point of, um, you know, and it's, it's only been in the last few years, but try to consistently interview, consistently have a exactly. pipeline of people coming through and, and even business was a little, you know, has been a little slower, um, in this past spring, I hired three new people because three really great people jumped into my lap that I didn't have the work for them, but I couldn't let them go. Uh, and, Yes, uh, that was something that I've, you know, I would encourage everybody. Like, even even the the most average recruiter I've ever hired, I made money on. Uh, you don't, you won't, you won't lose money on them if they're at least a decent person. You won't lose money on them. Um, so so get over that fear. I think, uh, but if you can if you can make pro be proactive as far as finding talent, it'll it'll pay dividends. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Like our whole, we have a whole um, class on recruiting recruiters uh, for our clients and always be interviewing. You have to just, as you say, build a pipeline of talent. Even when you're not, you don't have an opening or you're not quite ready to hire or whatever, be interviewing constantly, um, you know, because then, you know, it's just, the funny thing is like, you need to treat your own internal hiring with the same weight or or commitment that you do when you're serving clients, right? But recruiter, firm owners don't think that way. They prioritize the search, which has a invoice attached to it, you know, which is a direct invoice, and they they don't have as much emphasis or commitment to unearthing that great talent for their own business, which is crazy. It should really be the other way around. The other way around, and and I learned early on, you know, my partner Dan Charney would tell me you know, forget whatever deal you're working on. You hire a great recruiter, it'll, you know, that person could be worth a million dollars to your practice. Exactly, right? exactly. Well, speaking of that, you have hired, mentored, and developed multiple million-dollar billers. Could you 
like that's unusual. That's very, very unusual. You know, it's rare to have one million dollar biller in a, in a practice. How have you fostered that uh, at DRI? Um, I think it's really been on the focus of I'm super top of funnel driven as far as how I look at my week in business. And if you can bring in, if you can bring in job orders, um, you can build a business in the, in recruiting, right? I think the folks that try to balance and, and I have a lot of good friends in Pinnacle that try to balance it where they're, you know, spending half their week recruiting and then they start doing yep. business development out of necessity because their searches are coming to an yep. end. And to me, that's just, that's just a, a, a really tough position. I, I spend my whole week doing top of funnel development activities. Um, yep. and you can hire along the way to fulfill those. And so the emphasis on new clients and new job owners all the time. I mean, look, I work in the software space. I've probably had on 10 to 15 different occasions, I've had my best client or biggest billing client be acquired and disappear over the years. Right. Of course. And so, yes. um, I, you know, I, the, I always I've had to learn the hard way that you can't be reliant on any one customer or any one relationship. Uh, and so, yep. uh, you know, I am const I'm obsessed with top of funnel. And I think the folks that have done really well and that have, have really grown uh, on my team, and there's plenty of folks that have done really well that aren't business developers, but the folks that I think the key to, to be a perpetual seven figure biller or whatever the case may be is new, new customer, current customers always be looking for new customers uh, and new yeah. relationships and like never rest on your laurels because it's just that, 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 that's how you get into kind of a cyclical, you know, slump, good month, slump, good month. Um, yeah. The way to have consistent good month over good and good month and good year over good year is always have new business coming in the door. Absolutely. Well said. And uh, yeah, so interesting. But at the same time, that requires, the reason people do this feast famine thing is when they're trying to do everything themselves again, yeah. right? We're coming back to that because they're almost like, well, I don't want to get too busy because I won't be able to fulfill the search it's already got. So they're always just trying to, they're doing just enough BD to top up what 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 either they fill or falls off. But it's it's almost impossible to get that balance right. So usually you're under, you know, emphasizing BD. And usually there's always going to be some kind of down month or down quarter when you're trying to do it that way. The other thing, Mark, so, people, people, put, people put BD on a pedestal. I think Norm would tell you the okay. same thing. Like BD is, you know, uh, marketing, marketing is not this, is not this like you know, elusive, crazy thing. It's just, it's just talking to people and asking a few extra questions. Right. Um, hmm. and, and you're never, you know, it's super, super rare. I learned early on, like that you're going to call some CEO and he's going to, he or she's going to be like, yeah, I need a VP of marketing. We've never talked before, but let me give you this great search. Right. No, it's right. just like having those relationship building deposit in the bank account conversations, just having them enough of them, leaving a good impression. And that person will, will call you at a later date, right? If you leave, if you make the right impression, um, mm -hmm. re, re, I find so much that recruiters fall into recruiting out of comfort and because they're nervous to step out of that. Um, True. And I think like that's what, you know, that's just a, a challenging pattern to, to get into. 
And I've never met a, a, you know, I think most folks would tell you if they've had a customer for a decade and a lot of their business comes from that customer and they don't market, that customer, they're, they're going to beat you up on fee every time a new HR person comes in. They're going to, yeah. you know, the, the relationship never gets better over time, right? You end up just having a higher pain tolerance. And so by having a good flow of top funnel stuff, like you can avoid getting in the death spiral of, of diminishing returns with a long-term customer too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, we. I'm sure everybody listening could think of a story or an example where your best customer, as you said, like they could get acquired, your main sponsor in that company could change jobs. And then like a, a new person comes in and they want their person who they already have a relationship with another firm or whatever. There's so many things that can happen. It's so vulnerable to be over-dependent on a one or a small number of customers. So Mike, in summary, you're saying that the key to being a top producer is constant top of funnel activity. Like, is that it's, what it's it boils down to? Very much. I mean, look, it's the same thing that works in any any client company you have. I mean, to, to, to grow in order to have, you know, recruiting to do, or in client cases, customer success activities and implementation activities, you need to sell. Right. And so yeah. I think the more, the more, uh, the more at bats you're getting, the more opportunities coming through your team, um, you know, and the more quality opportunities you have coming through your team, the more everything else kind of falls into place. And frankly, when you have deal flow and cash flow, as, as my partner Dan would say, it allows you to, you get more confident. You call higher, you, you ask for bigger fees, you ask for, you know, you ask for exclusivity, you ask for things that when you don't have much going on, you're just like, yeah, I'll take what I can get. But when you've got the confidence of having the really full desk, you know, first of all, your time is much more valuable. You're less interested in putting up with BS and you're more comfortable asking for the things you need that you know you need to be successful and to get the deals done. And so top of funnel, you know, full top of funnel will just really, you know, it makes everything smoother. It makes you more confident and it's going to lead to more money. That is the perfect way to finish up our call, Mike. I think that's really, really well said. Um, I know you've got another meeting you need to go on to. Really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for being on the, on the, on the show. Mark, I'm re really grateful. I was, uh, I was trolling you in, in, uh, San Diego a bit, hoping you were going to ask me to come on because I was jealous that half <laughs> all my other pinnacle buddies were already, uh, you know, on the Mark Whitby uh, podcast. I was like, yo, Mark, uh, you know, let's, let's say, hey, I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. So thank you for very, very much for inviting me on. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have an awesome day and look forward to speaking again soon. You too, brother. Thank you much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.